This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the 78th week of the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Uh, I have been looking forward to today's show. I'll be joined by two of my favorite people. Kevin O'Toole is the chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. That's a a bi-state transportation agency that I'm somewhat aware of, and a former Republican senator in New Jersey. Sean Darcy is a Democratic strategist who has worked for three governors. He now advises one quarter of the state's congressional delegation, and he's the CEO of Round World Consulting. It's a top New Jersey firm. And I've got a a big announcement that I'm going to want to share with everyone. That'll come at the end of the hour, so please don't go anywhere. You you won't want to miss that. And, and well, here we are, back in the thick of election season. It, It really seems... Like, that never stops in New Jersey. It's like we all hop from one campaign to another. It's a seamless transition from one election to the next. No downtime between any of them anymore. And so we are just 23 days away from the filing deadline for the June primary. That's the day when candidates have to walk into borough halls or county clerk's office or or the office of the New Jersey Secretary of State and file nominating petitions to get on the ballot. Uh, it's it's not that hard, really, to become a candidate for public office. You, uh, you All you do is you announce that you're running. I mean, in the old days, you, you wrote up a press release. You mailed it to a local newspaper. You included a photo. And, and just like that, it's in the newspaper, and you're a candidate. Uh, now, I think it's even easier. You, you don't need the press release because the newspapers, for those of you who are over 30, a newspaper is something that used to get printed every day and, and then get either delivered to your home or you'd go to a store or a newsstand and buy it. I mean, newspapers, they aren't really a thing anymore. But if you want to become a candidate, it's easy. You just say, I am a candidate. And you design a simple website. You you get yourself a, a an okay logo. You sign up for a Twitter or Facebook account, you go online and you register with the the Federal Election Commission or the New Jersey Law Enforcement Commi- Election Law Enforcement Commission. I mean, that's it. It's 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 relatively easy. You don't you don't need to have any money to start. There's no requirement that that even a single voter actually supports you. You just pull the trigger, you say you're a candidate and you're in the race. And and the next test is to see if you can get on the ballot. Uh, New York, it's hard. Everybody in New York knows how hard it is to get on the ballot. In New Jersey, it's it's a cinch. And, and, and I'll simplify this one. If, if you're not actually on the ballot, uh, and if on election day folks can't actually vote for you, well, I mean, here's an analysis. It's so high level, so incredibly intellectual. I, I could actually hear somebody from the Bergen Record saying it. Uh, if you're not on the ballot, you can't get any votes. And if you don't get any votes, well, you're not going to win. And and so amazingly, and, and it happens every year. I mean, I, I say this, this is my 49th year in New Jersey politics. I can't even begin to guess how many times I've, I've seen this. Uh, Filing day comes, it's, it's 4 p.m., and a bunch of announced candidates are, are no-shows. They, they miss the deadline. Uh, they don't actually file their petitions. Uh, I mean, poof, just like that, you never hear from these folks again. And, and despite all the, 
hoopla regardless of their insistence for months that the media cover them, uh, that they be treated on an equal footing to the other candidates, uh, the incumbents, the ones that we call front runners. You never hear from these guys again. And, and despite all the bluster and all the noise and, and everything they're saying inside their bubbles on social media, uh, they just didn't get enough signatures in their nominating petitions to, to qualify to run. And I mean, to be clear, you know, I keep saying it, not that hard. Uh, you only need 200 signatures, 200 valid signatures to run for Congress. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm talking about ballot access on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And I'd like to tell you a story about the first time I ran for office. It was 1978. It seems like so long ago. Uh, I was 16. The county committeeman from my district wasn't seeking re-election. And, and, and I'm a politics nerd. I've said that over and over and over. So, so I'd volunteered on campaigns at that point for about five years. So I thought it was my turn. I thought it was my turn to run. I thought that, that I uh, should have gotten the organization line for that seat. But, but people thought I was too young. So I, I took out a petition from the township clerk, and I went door-to-door in my district getting signatures on my petition. Uh, to run for county committee in those days, you needed 10 signatures. I got 37. They were all eligible voters. They were all good, clean signatures. I remember all of them. Uh, but when I showed up at the township clerk's office to to file, I was there with a star ledger photographer because I, I, I knew a 16-year-old running for office was news. And, and in those days, the star ledger actually covered news. Uh, but my petitions weren't accepted because I wasn't 18. I wasn't old enough to vote, they said, so therefore too young to run for office. It's not, as I think about it now, not an invalid point. Uh, candidates whose petitions aren't accepted, they have two options. Uh, I think they can just go away and accept the ruling of the clerk, uh, or they find a lawyer willing to go fight for you. And I found a lawyer. His name was Charlie Pokel. He was 29. He had run for Congress in 1976 uh, against an entrenched incumbent in New Jersey's 11th District. Uh, I thought he was the perfect choice, actually. He had, he had run for county committee himself when he was 19, when the voting age was 21. Uh, he was a good lawyer. I mean, he was, he was no Perique or Mencher. Genova, Howes, or Tambusi, or, or Cantonelli, but, but he was my advocate, and Charlie charged me $100 to handle the case. So, so suddenly, here I was, 16, and now essentially a self-funder in my own political campaign. I had to use what was practically my life savings at that point to hire a lawyer, and, and my bid to get on the ballot got Charlie some great press. The New York Times covered it. The Associated Press covered my run. Uh, I, I worry so much about local news today. To, but to get coverage for a campaign today, I, I don't know. I'd have to probably be willing to give away some rather excellent chicken wings in order to get some attention. But I went to court before the Honorable Arthur Blake, the Essex County assignment judge. He was, so he was an outstanding jurist. He was a very nice man, but he ruled against me. It's 44 years later. I still think he got the law wrong, but what do I know? Uh, And I'll never forget something that Judge Blake said. Uh, My lawyer, Charlie, argued that 37 registered voters had indicated their desire for me to be on the ballot. 
Judge Blake was was unimpressed. He said, if you stand outside the shop right long enough, people will sign your petition. So that's a lesson I've accepted for my entire life. Getting signatures on a petition isn't so hard. Maybe it's a little more difficult than Judge Blake thought it was, but it's easy. Uh, and, and so as I await filing day and the news of these contenders who who can't get the signatures as they, they watch their campaigns fizzle out, I I watch with with really very little sympathy. I have I have as my grandmother used to say, no knockers for these people because because Judge Blake was right. Standing outside the shop right long enough and you can't too can can be a candidate for office. This is David Wildston. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And there was some big news for New Jersey out of Morris County on Friday night. Tom Kane Jr. won the organization line in Morris County. That's a big deal. Uh, last week, Kane was forced into a runoff with John Henry Eisman. He he came up a little short of the 50% he needed on the first ballot for their endorsement. But, but last night, Kane beat Eisman by a two-to-one margin. He, is, he has now secured organization lines. That's a preferred ballot position that, that most definitely comes with votes. And he's gotten these lines in Morris and Union and Hunterdon County and an endor- endorsement from the Warren Republican Organization. Uh, Kane, he is, he's the former minority leader of the New Jersey State Senate. He's the son of a for, former governor, a hugely popular governor. Uh, Kane is now the clear front runner to take on Congressman Tom Malinowski in New Jersey's 7th District. And, and this, is a, this is a rematch. Kane came within one percentage point of unseating Malinowski uh, in the last election. Redistricting has made New Jersey's 7th District better for Republicans this year. Uh, in the next-door district, in the 11th, Morris County Commissioner Typhoon Sellen, he is now the front-runner for the Republican nomination in what's going to be a tougher general election race, the one to unseat Mikey Sherrill. Uh, Sellen won the Morris Republican endorsement by 15 votes on the second ballot to Larry Cash. Cash is a, a party stalwart. He's run for office a few times, but he's he never made it out of the primaries. Uh, I'm expecting Cash will drop out of the race before uh, the filing deadline. And and Selin has a compelling life story. He, he emigrated to the U.S. from Turkey, I think it was 1996. He worked as a gas station attendant. He became a U.S. citizen. Uh, he became the first Turkish-American mayor in the nation when, when he was elected in Chatham Township. And, and so I find this interesting. Republicans in a congressional district that was represented by two Freelingheisens for a combined 46 years is now on the verge of nominating a non-white candidate for the U.S. House House of Representatives. And that is a little glass ceiling shattering right there if it it happens. Uh, There's also a hot issue in New Jersey right now. Uh, some legislators have proposed ending New Jersey's ban on self-service gas stations, and New Jerseyans don't like it. And Eagleton Rutgers poll that was released this week 
showed that 73% of people who live in New Jersey oppose the idea. Jerseyans like remaining in their vehicles and letting someone else pump their gas. I mean, there's just 22% of the people in the state want to pump their own gas. Uh, but, But Sal Rizzolvato, he's the executive director of the New Jersey Gasoline and Convenience Store Association, he didn't like the way the poll question was asked. Uh, what the pollster asked simply was, do you prefer to pump your own gas or have or have your gas pump for you? Uh, this bill actually requires gas stations to just provide a self-service option. Uh, it would require that old-fashioned full-service gas station attendant model to to remain in effect. And and this everybody. This is the perfect storm right now. This is it's a legitimate issue being debated by the New Jersey legislature. And at the same time, uh, it's it's clickbaitish enough for New Jersey's newspapers to cover the issue. So so this one for sure will be worth watching. Uh, we will be right back with Sean Darcy, a Democratic political consultant. He's worked with three governors, now advises a quarter of the New Jersey congressional delegation uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's the CEO of Round World Consulting. It's a top New Jersey public affairs firm. And after that, I will speak with Kevin O'Toole, former senator, now the chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And at the end of the hour, I've got a big announcement that I want to share with everyone. So please don't go anywhere. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Sean Darcy is the CEO of Round World Consulting. It's one of the state's uh, top Democratic political consulting firms. He's, he's worked for three governors, and now 30% of the Democratic House members from New Jersey are his clients. Sean, welcome. Hi there, David. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on. And, and you know, I, I talked about you working for three governors. You worked for Jim McGreevy and then and then Dick Cody and then John Corzine. Uh, you have a favorite among the three, and, and by the way, before you answer that, I'll, I'll give you—I'll give you a fair warning. Governors McGreevy and Cody listen to the show. I have no evidence that Governor Corzine does. I will tell you that uh, I've actually enjoyed all three of them, and then afterwards, I was—I'm fortunate to work with former Governor Patterson over in New York as well. Um, they're, you know, four very smart people. I've learned a lot of different things from them, from their various staffs. I mean, I've worked for some tremendous chiefs of staff too, right? Um, it's just. It's been very fortunate. I've been very fortunate to work for great people like that. So, gun to my head, I really can't tell you which one of those people I enjoy more. I think I learned something different and unique from all three of them, all four of them actually. When you put Patterson in there, I didn't Sean. You were you were you were young, and you you know you you like me. You're an Essex County guy, so you you know politics politics gets fed to you in, in small doses from a very young age. What what got you what got you involved? How did you wind up working for Governor McGreevy? If I'm, I mean, candidly, uh, I think my background was a bit, a bit different, a bit more unique from yours, or actually yours is more unique than, than the sort of traditional. I, um, well, that's because I'm a geek I'm, and you're a normal guy. <laughs> these folks were all names on lawn signs to me growing up, to be honest with you. Um, I had a friend in college, uh, a guy named Jamie Falstraut, who um, worked for Governor McGreevy in Woodbridge at the time. And after Governor McGreevy won, um, Jamie asked me to take a leave from the job I was doing uh, at a financial firm. And come and volunteer for two weeks and help write press releases and 
just generally volunteered during transition. And, um, and then they hired me. So again, just very fortunate, very fortunate. And, and you, 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 you saw a lot of history during that time. I mean, you were there, you were in, in a governor's office for, you know, you know, more or less eight years. I mean, is there, is there any one thing that, that stands out to you as, as, as something that has just sort of been a life lesson for you? <sighs> um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the year that I didn't work there where I got to work for Susan Massavin, which is also a tremendous learning experience. Um, you know, I, look, I mean, I learned the value of crafting a message and staying on that message. Um, I, you know, I learned the value of maintaining relationships and making sure that you sort of understand the folks who are not only covering you, but also have an interest in Trenton and have an interest in forming a relationship. Um, you know, I got to watch, I got to watch Dick Cody be Senate president and governor at the same time. That's, that's pretty unique. You know what I mean? And for an extended period of time. So it'd be hard to narrow it all down to one thing, but I think one of the things that served me well moving forward was the, the value of establishing a message, making sure you sort of stick to that message, but also being able to adapt to outside things and work through. And you work now, you, you, you're as a political consultant. I mean, three of your clients are, are Frank Pallone and Bill Pascrell and Bonnie Watson Coleman. I mean, they are, they are each, uh, you know, enormously influential. Pallone's got house energy and commerce, uh, committee chairmanship. He is, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the most powerful guys on Capitol Hill. Pascrell's got a subcommittee on ways and means. Uh, Watson Coleman is on a probes. I mean, tell me what it's like working for these three. Uh, they're, they're all unique and amazing in their own way. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, uh, I've been very fortunate to work with the three of those individuals, right? Um, you know, to your point, all three of them do great work in bringing back federal dollars to their district. Uh, they're all down there representing New Jersey. Uh, they're all trying to make sure that they're, um, that they're getting our fair share, right? But then when you talk about a Bonnie Watson Coleman, right, you're talking about a woman who, who made history as the first African-American woman to ever represent New Jersey in Congress. And for a lot of people, that's an entire career, right? And there's a history. <laughs> but instead, she goes down to D.C., um, she doesn't sort of like sit back and, you know, do whatever most other freshman um, members do and sort of take a back seat, right? She's consistently fights for her values. Um, to your point, she worked hard to get on the Appropriations Committee, so she makes sure we have a seat at the table for federal support. Um, and now she's, you know, pushing through a $500 million project that was, that was, that was stopped, right, to try and shore up our infrastructure with, with green investment um, over the Green Book Flood Mitigation Project. So... I don't know. Like she's a, she's an interesting woman to watch, right? Because again, she made history and could have just sort of took a step back. And I think the thing I take back from her is that she, she's always believed, and I think you know this even from the time she was in the legislature, that um, that the budgets are moral documents, and she's always going to stand for the things she believes in, right? And then like when I, I look at a, a, a congressman Pallone, right? It's like he's always been in a very contentious district. I think you know this. And the reason he wins is because he, he doesn't back down. He, you know, he produces for his district. But it's not that long ago that, that Frank Pallone and his staff are making sure that Tea Party protesters are properly hydrated as they're out in front of his office protesting, right? right. Um, he does that because he knows that even if there's a disagreement, even if there's some folks who are on the opposite side of things, he represents the entirety of the district. It's not just one group that is like saying, yes, Frank Pallone, you're correct, right? So, you know, you had mentioned he's chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee, and I think we would both agree that um, seniority matters in Congress, right? 
So he's brought back billions of dollars. Um, you know, he's he's leading the fight against um, you know, it's like clean up toxic waste sites. He's expanding broadband. He's helped make healthcare more affordable, accessible. He's just done a hundred things that you could go through, and it would take the rest of our time here, right? But I, I will say that we obviously have a lot of challenges that are going to be coming up, um, including inflation, gas prices, a number of things, right? And I, I would maintain strongly that someone like Frank Pallone is the person we need down there because he actually gets things done and he knows how to do it. So he's got, and he's got, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say in the interest of time, because I don't mean to take up all the time talking to these three people. I just, I really like them so much. <laughs> um, Someone like, like Pascrell, right? He's another very effective legislator. He brings the federal dollars through. But again, in the interest of time, I, the thing I love about Bill Pascrell is that he doesn't, he doesn't pull his way into fights, right? He does the things that he actually believes are the right thing to do. So, like, he's in D.C. He's consistently calling for accountability with, with President Trump. That never wavers, right? But then he's also been consistently a champion in Congress for the, for the Ukrainian and I'm sorry, for the Ukrainian community. And I'll tell you this, right? This is true. In 2012, during that primary, I remember we'd walk into almost any room where we're having like a big event, and you would see that Ukrainian flag flying almost everywhere because they have such a huge Ukrainian community around Clifton and Pasig, right? So, like, what I love about Bill Pascrell is that he takes on a fight, he sticks with that fight, he's been a champion for Ukraine for years, and it's like not just over the past few weeks when now everyone can see sort of what's going on, right? Well, I'll tell you something, you know, one observation about Congressman Pascrell, and I've, I've been watching him since he was a, a, a freshman assemblyman from, from Patterson. Uh, but the guy has, and I say this, I'm, obje- I'm being objective, but I, but, but I say this in a good way. The guy's got no filter at all. He says exactly what's on his mind. He doesn't, uh, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you know, talk to his staff and say, well, if I say this, what, 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 what's the, what are the pros? What are the cons? Am I going to get yeah. criticized by this group or that group? There's, there's just no filter there. Wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I almost think it would be good if the Congress had more people like that, that just, that just spoke from the heart and, and not worried about screening what they're going to say. Uh, 100%. In his heart, he's a Pattersonian, right? And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to poll to see if a fight is good or bad. He's going to tell you, this is what I believe. And this is what we're going to do to try and fix it. Um, now, of course, in our general, it's possible that our, our, you know, potential opponent is, uh, is a guy who's standing there with a QAnon flag. So that could be a very interesting one. <laughs> and I want to ask you about Pallone's reelection. You've got a, a, you know, in a, he's had that seat since 1988, you know, from time to time, uh, he's had some, some really tough races that he's won. Uh, Republicans think they can beat him. They've got, they have uh, uh, Sue Kiley, Monmouth County Commissioner, running Rick Maida, 2020 U.S. Mm-hmm. Senate candidate, uh, running. He did well in that congressional district against against Cory Booker. Uh, is is this an election you're concerned about? Uh, look, it's one of the things I like about all three of these individuals. Right, they take every election seriously, and I, I just I'll just jump back to it. I think that all three of these people are very comfortable running on their records. And I think Congressman Pallone has established a record of uh, not just bringing money back, but making sure that he's fighting for middle class families and he's doing the things that we need to do um, to, to, to push back against tough financial times. So, you know, is he worried? Nah, I'm not going to say he's worried, but I think that I think he's confident in his record. And when we explain to people all the tremendous things he's done, 
I, I think that, that that hopefully pushes past any sort of like partisanship when you recognize all the things he does for the district. So this is a this is a district. This is this is parts of Monmouth County, Republican parts of Monmouth County and and Middlesex, which is which is Democratic, except when it's not uh, a lot of suburban blue collar voters there. Uh, uh, Chitterelli did did well in this district. Uh, uh, you know, Biden's numbers not doing well. We we saw a poll this week from from Rutgers Eagleton uh, that shows the governor's favorables upside down for, for the first time since he took office. Thirty three percent favorable, thirty eight percent unfavorable. Uh, how much of, of, of Congressman Pallone's reelection is is within his control and how much of that is just, you know, if there's if there's some national tide going on? Uh, look, I mean, we're going to, it's going to be speaking directly to voters, talking about directly what Frank Fallon has done to these individuals, right? I think that when you talk about the Governor Murphy approvals, you know, people are unhappy, they're frustrated about things like inflation, gas prices, virus protocols, um, a number of things, right, that impact everyday quality of life. Um, but, but I do got to say, right, it's not as if there's a lot that Governor Murphy can actually do about that, right? So now you have a situation where it's, um, you know, you get rid of the mask protocols, and that's going to that's gonna be a hugely contentious issue off the table, and hopefully that restores some semblance of normalcy. But, but I, I do need to say, right, David, because I know that, like, that poll is what it is. But in my mind, I'm like, you have to give credit where it's due here, right? Uh, you get Governor Murphy, um, other electeds on both sides of the aisle, I and mean, even, even, even union leaders like, like Pat Colvin, Mark Kovar, folks like that, right? All these folks were, were – they're faced with a once-in-a-lifetime public health crisis, and there's no blueprint. <laughs> so you're working on navigating conditions with the thoughts of trying to keep um, all residents in New Jersey safe and, 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 and protected. And I think given that context, that was achieved effectively and, I would argue, admirably. This is going to be a uh, – this, this, this has the potential. It's, it's early, right? I mean, we're in, we're in March. A lot's got to happen before, before for people actually vote. But, but uh, you know, this is a – this is a potentially competitive election year. Before we go, because we only have a, a second left, and I'm, and I'm talking, speaking with Sean Darcy, but uh, Governor 2025, your party, Governor Murphy's term limited. You guys are going to need a candidate uh, one way or the other. Uh, any any quick thoughts on, on who you'd like to see run? Uh, it's, like, it's like the great parlor game for you and I and everyone who listens to your show, right? I mean, I've heard the same names as everyone else, right? Mikey Sherrill, Josh Gottheimer, Greg Coughlin. Um, Steve Fulop, Steve Sweeney, Sean Oliver, Jingle Powell, um, Mayor, Mayor Baraka over in Newark. These are all, I think we'd be lucky to have any one of these people as a candidate. I think that uh, they all have done an effective job in representing our party. And, um, you know, I don't want to be in a position three and a half years out running, running a firm while I tell you that I want it to be this person because I'm just going to limit business <laughs> myself. I can't do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I have been speaking. Sean Darcy, CEO of Round World Consulting, Democratic strategist from New Jersey. Thanks for joining me. And uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. And I will be right back with Senator Kevin O'Toole, the chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And after that, a big announcement from the New Jersey Globe that you're not going to want to miss. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, look, I mean, we're going to, it's going to be speaking directly to voters, talking about directly what Frank Fallon has done to these individuals, right? I think that when you talk about the Governor Murphy approvals, you know, people are unhappy, they're frustrated about 
things like inflation, gas prices, virus protocols, um, a number of things, right, that impact everyday quality of life. Um, but, but I do got to say, right, it's not as if there's a lot that Governor Murphy can actually do about that, right? So now you have a situation where it's, um, you know, you get rid of the mask protocols, and that's going to that's gonna be a hugely contentious issue off the table, and hopefully that restores some semblance of normalcy. But, but I, I do need to say, right, David, because I know that, like, that poll is what it is. But in my mind, I'm like, you have to give credit where it's due here, right? Uh, you get Governor Murphy, um, other electeds on both sides of the aisle, and even, even, even union leaders like, like Pat Colvin, Mark Kovar, folks like that, right? All these folks were, were – they're faced with a once-in-a-lifetime public health crisis, and there's no blueprint. <laughs> so you're working on navigating conditions with the thoughts of trying to keep um, all residents in New Jersey safe and, 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 and protected – and I think given that context, that was achieved effectively and I would argue admirably. And this is going to be a uh, – this, this, this has the potential. It's, it's early, right? I mean we're in, we're in March. A lot's got to happen before, before for people actually vote. But, but uh, you know, this is, a, this is a potentially competitive election year. Be, before we go, because we only have a, a second left, and I'm, and I'm talking, speaking with Sean Darcy. But uh, Governor 2025, your party, Governor Murphy's term limited. You guys are going to need a candidate – uh, one way or the other, uh, any any quick thoughts on on who you'd like to see run? Uh, it's like it's like the great parlor game for you and I and everyone who listens to your show, right? I mean, I've heard the same names as everyone else, right? Mikey Sherrill, Josh Gottheimer, Greg Coughlin, um, Steve Phillips, Steve Sweeney, Sean Oliver, Jingle Powell, um, Mayor Mayor Baraka over in Newark. These are all. I think we'd be lucky to have any one of these people as a candidate. I think that. Uh, they all have done an effective job in representing our party. And, um, you know, I don't want to be in a position three and a half years out running, running a firm while I tell you that I want it to be this person because I'm just going to limit business <laughs> to myself. I can't do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I have been speaking. Sean Darcy, CEO of Round World Consulting, Democratic strategist from New Jersey. Thanks for joining me. And oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. And I will be right back with Senator Kevin O'Toole, the chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And after that, a big announcement from the New Jersey Globe that you're not going to want to miss. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Kevin O'Toole is the chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, which, which means he runs a bi-state agency that's actually bigger than six U.S. states. He's a former Republican senator, an assemblyman, and a weekly columnist for the New Jersey Globe. Senator O'Toole, how are you? I'm doing fine, David. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and Senator, you are you are by New Jersey standards uh, uh, young. You're you're 57. And you've become now the the leading elder statesman of New Jersey politics. Uh, I mean, I, some of the most powerful leaders in both parties seek your advice and counsel. Do you do you feel you're more influential as a private citizen than when you were a senator running for office? No, David, I don't consider myself influential. I mean, look, I've been involved in politics for almost 40 years, starting out you know, back in the early 80s, have had an opportunity to mix with Congress members, senators, state, federal. And over the years, you just learn certain parts of this trade and you want to share some of those experiences and some of that wisdom that has come in the last four decades. And it's a lot of fun. 
And I mean, one of the things we have in common is we both got hooked on politics at a, at a young age. You, you interned and you started out as, a, for, as an intern for a congressman. How did you, how did you wind up there? How did you wor- wind up working there? Sure. It was 1984. I was taking a class, American government, and part of that uh, requirement was to intern uh, for a congressional campaign. I was assigned uh, Congressman Minish's campaign in 84 and threw myself into it and literally uh, just fell in love with politics the moment I walked into the campaign headquarters at the old town campus in West Orange. Right. And, and there were, I mean, I remember, I mean, there were, Joe Minish was a was a legendary guy. I mean, and, and I remember he had a I don't know if you called it chief of staff back then. I think he he may have been the equivalent of the district director, but but a guy named Joe Puzo, uh, real real old timer, but real you know by you know just just knew how to run these campaigns. Guys like that, I, I think have have had a lot of influence on people like us as we as we are young and learning. Listen, we kind of take for granted though, those individuals, the Joe Puzos, the John Kellys, the Joe Minishes, the Steve Adubato seniors. They have cast in a, a very long shadow and had a lot of influence on those of us who played around in Essex County. I mean, the word Machiavelli was used quite a bit, and you learn just a little bit as you sit around the table, you know, around the kitchen table, just trying to elbow closer to these principles as they talk about strategies in, in politics. And you're, you're sitting there, I mean, you know, and we've, we've... – We've talked about what power is like in New Jersey, where you start out out in the hallway and, and you just want to get in the room. And then you're, you know, at, at that age, we were all the wall sitters. We were the guys sitting along the wall and we wanted to get at the table. But, but it's just, it's invaluable. And I, and, and I say this to young people that want to get involved, involved in politics all the time. You've got to listen to people that have been around the block and, and, and hear their stories and get their lessons. Listen, I started out uh, the, the following year. I was driving you know, three or four co- uh, assembly members to, to Trenton. I sat in the van and literally listened to the stories back and forth with Jerry Zecker, uh, you know, Newt Miller, uh, John Kelly, and, and Marion Krekel and others, and getting coffee for them. And you're listening to every little thing they said, and you absorbed everything. And I think some of the, the now generation, they don't have that opportunity, and they don't have, uh, pro- uh, they don't have access to those experiences. Sometimes they want to jump to the head of the line and put their name on the ballot without going through the staff, the staff levels and working your way up the political ladder. And that's a mistake. I agree. And you ran for councilman in Cedar Grove. You were, uh, you were in law school. You were, I think you were 25 when you won your first election. I mean, what was, you were anxious to run for office, but you, you, what made you choose local office? Um, it was there. I uh, had attended council meetings at the age of 18, ran for office and won at 24, my third year of law school. My campaign manager was Thomas P. Scrivo at the time and just had the opportunity uh, soon thereafter, uh, became involved at the county level and ran for a vacant assembly seat in 1995. How you, were, you were, I mean, again, we, we talk about people, you're, you're, you're able to be an elder statesman today because you started young. Uh, that's that's fairly unusual. How did how did you wind up getting to the state assembly? So I got to the state assembly. I was serving as a chief of staff for a county executive, uh, and there was a sudden retirement from Maureen Ogden, who had served seven terms in the assembly. A little un- unbeknownst to me, she had staged it where her chief of staff, Cindy Fuller, was going to just walk into uh, the county committee and take over. So I went out and literally called and knocked on every county committee uh, in the 13 towns of then tw- District 21 Union in Essex County and uh, beat her by 30 votes. And it's shoe leather, right? I mean, those kind of elections, that's, there's no substitute for hard work. 
Listen, you can't um, mistake when you when, when I ran in 2007 for the state Senate, again, getting thrown off the line in Bergen County for the powers that be. I wasn't deterred. I went out and knocked on every door, uh, talked to every county committee, uh, ran out an incredible list of endorsements, raised a record amount of money at that time. Um, you have to really put you have to be all in in this business and you just can't mail it in. Uh, if you're in it, you got to be in it. You can't. You, you got to make your own luck, don't you? I mean, it's not all. Everybody talks about how it's all about the money and the party support, but I think sometimes you just have to make your own luck. Well, listen, Bobby Frank said it best: it's money, message, organization. But I, I always say to add to that, you got to be around the sphere of opportunity. You got to work it hard, wait for that uh, moment of opportunity that's around the table, and just take a, a run at it. But you got to be, you know, ready, set, go. So, so I, 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 I jump ahead. You're now in the assembly, a little under six years. Uh, there's an opportunity to move up to the Senate in your district. Senator Lou Bassano, my old boss, one of the greatest guys I ever worked for, uh, left early to, to go work at the Sports Authority. And suddenly you're in the state Senate and, and you got to be thinking this, you know, that, 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 that life can't get any better. But, but tell us, something happened. Something happened. So let's, let's talk about it. So I get into the state Senate in uh, April of 2001, and I'm sitting around this round table uh, in the majority in the Senate. And I'm saying this is like it doesn't get any better than this. You know, Don DeFrancesco is the Senate president, and we're just having a ball of a time. Uh, what happens is redistricting gets uh, comes uh, into play. I get rocked and get put into a totally different district. Like a couple weeks after you got I, there, right? I mean, not a long time, a couple, a couple weeks. weeks. Right. Yeah, and I, I didn't have Al Barlas doing redistricting then, so I had to make my own fortune. I barely climbed back into the assembly. What I did, I made a deal with uh, Senator McNamara. He was in the Senate. I was grouped to be with him in the Senate. I said I wouldn't run in a primary against him, uh, knowing full well he was running for county executive in 02. I said, look, if you run and win in 02, I'm going back to the Senate with your blessing. So I kind of fell into that ticket with uh, McNamara and Dave Russo uh, and myself as a threesome. He actually lost – uh, McNamara lost a race that he should have won. Uh, he then uh, went on to serve a couple more years, and then he retired in 07, and I ran in a very competitive race in 07 for the Senate and uh, served there for 10 years and had a, had the best time of my life politically. And I'm speaking with Port Authority Chairman Kevin O'Toole. I mean, you know, just I just I want to frame this for everybody because because they especially in a redistricting year to understand what it was. You you live in Cedar Grove, which is which is northern Essex County, and you had a district that went all the way down into Roselle Park uh, in Union County. Uh, uh, you know, not not terribly far from Staten Island. And then the next thing you know, you are at the southern end of your district, and you're all the way up to what Mawa. Yeah, I touched on the New, New York, York State, State line. Went to, went to, yeah, literally, I lost ninety percent uh, in the next redistricting. Lost ninety five percent of my district, but you know, managed just through making you know the relationships, uh, raising a lot of money, having a certain profile, uh, standing behind the towns on important issues. Managed to stay uh, as the senator for a number of years. You don't see that happen every day. So, Senator, you said you said relationships, and that is that is just such an important thing for people to understand about politics is is building relationships and building friendships and and i mean you you could have been dead on the side of the road and after that redistricting you you had what verona and cedar grove and that was it uh and it was your relationships that saved you what what advice do you have to people about about how to forge these friendships well first of all you're in this political game for a finite period of time you have to reach out and make friends uh and relationships almost immediately one of the things that i did 
uh, once you get into the new district, you sit down with the council members, the uh, the chairs, uh, the county committee people, find out what's important to them, find a common ground, and just relate to them. And I think when you want to flip that, when once I got on the assembly floor uh, back in the 90s, you have to reach out to the folks across the aisle. One of the initial uh, friendships I struck up early on was with Brian Stack. Uh, he was under attack by a lot of fellow Republicans saying that Union City was in a certain um, uh, mentality, and they were using it as a, as a whipping boy. And I realized that Brian had certain opportunities, reached out, and forged a – which is now going to become a lifelong relationship. And the same would hold true to a, the county executive, Joe DiVincenzo, and uh, a number of others, and present-day you know, Joe Lagana and a number of other folks. You just have to reach out and have a relationship with, and that goes a long way. And you have to be real, and you have to be authentic in this business, and there's not a lot of it out there. If you can plant those seeds, uh, they will be there for uh, a good long time. So one of the things, Senator, that I, I wrote about you in, in the New Jersey Globe Powerless last year is that, that you you have become the, the consigliere of the consigliere's, that, that you are the ones, the people, advi- people who are advising the most powerful people in New Jersey politics, they come to you for advice. What is what, is, what does that mean? Is it, is it every day people are calling you, you know, saying, you know, here's here's our situation. Give you know, give me some sage wisdom as to as to how to handle it. Well, listen, as the Senate President Nick Scatari said a couple weeks to me, uh, he says, Kevin, you're more involved now than when you were in the in the Senate. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I do have obviously conversations and meetings on a daily and weekly basis with, you know, I would say on any given week, you know, ten of the forty senators and probably ten, fifteen assembly members that just want to have a conversation whether it's, you know, Steve Warho or, you know, Holly Shapizzi or, you know, Steve Sweeney when he was the Senate president. Uh, there's a, just a number of relationships you have. And, look, they ask for my advice. I ask for their advice. And, again, if you're a friend, you just have these discussions, and from these discussions leads to, you know, some good policymaking. You're a Republican. You're a Republican senator. You were you – were, I mean, you, 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 I, would, I, would, I would argue that you were a conservative Republican senator, but, but you have – friendships with Democrats that, that just seem to be better than than friendships Democrats have with Democrats. Is there do you look at that as a model and and think there is a possibility in in Trenton and in Washington for it to go back to the way it used to be and both parties could can get along more and, and, and agree to disagree on issues but not go personal with each other? Well, listen, you learned this back in the day watching the Joe Dorias of the world, you know, having these crossover politics. It doesn't exist anymore. It's not encouraged uh, from members of both sides. You know, listen, when I had my biggest threat was uh, losing in a primary in any given year, the general elections were never a problem for me. I had that crossover support. But listen, once the election's over, you got to reach out and have those relationships and, uh, you know, have a conversation. Interestingly, more times than not, after I had a, a race with a Democratic opponent, that opponent would endorse me the following election because we had spent time together, went to diners together, talked about policy and family, and really had this authentic relationship that was born out of that experience. And that doesn't happen enough these days, David. We have to create some form, some uh, model that allows this crossover politics uh, and policy to have a real conversation as opposed to the gotcha politics of today. It's just these cheap shots and you and you move on. And if I can edit, editorialize a little bit more, I just don't think you have a lot of the deep thinkers that we used to have from years ago. You need to have the folks who really understood policy, the Senator Lynch's, the Senator Gormley's of the world, who really understood base politics and understood uh, you know, long-term uh, public policies. And we should encourage some of that 
deep thinking. I don't care if it's whether it's Rowan or Rutgers or Seton Hall. They should have some of these forums that allow uh, these these stalwarts, these legends, to kind of talk about how we have this new brand of politics that we haven't seen in 30 years. And a lot of this comes up every Tuesday in your columns on the, the New Jersey Globe. It, it gives life lessons on how how politicians should behave, how, you know, and, and it gets a great response from people. One, one of the things I was thinking about uh, was was your staff over the years. You you have had, uh, and, it, and, it, and it's apparent to everybody, an amazing amount of loyalty from the people that have worked for you. They, you know, when they leave and they move on to, to different positions, they you never really leave the O'Toole world. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll bet Barless is actually listening live on the radio right now, which which I don't think he ever does because it's you, it's not for me. Uh well, how do you do that? Perspective, though, Al was the third chief of staff. I mean, Matt Murray was just amazing. Dominic Fiorelli, Fiorelli he's going to uh, be upset. I, I screw up his name. Uh, Rene DiCostello. Um, there, there have been my family. I mean, look, whether it's my wife, Beth, and my two kids, that's my core family. The staff members that I've uh, cultivated, they're part of my core family. They never go away. Uh, the people I've met in grammar school, high school, law school, on the council, in the assembly, in the Senate, uh, we I, I'm fortunate enough to still consider them uh, friends. And we periodically sit down and talk about, you know, what's happening in life, you know, if they're married, if the kids, how are things going? Uh, and that you don't find that. Listen, I had one um, office manager for 22 years, Renee. I had three chiefs of staff over 22 years, and they never went away. Whenever I had a tough race, they would drop what they were doing, take a leave of absence, and help me run uh, my tough races. Uh, and that that you know that stays with you. And that is that is just an important part of that's it's an important lesson for everybody in politics is is that it's not just building relationships with other other people, your colleagues, but also you know within your your own core group. So uh, I hope I hope more people take those lessons, and I, I think people should read the O'Toole Chronicles every week to to get more of those. But, but <laughs> well, Senator Kevin O'Toole. Port Authority Chairman, thank you so much for coming on. And, and it's you, always, a, always a pleasure to speak with you. And I will be right back with some news that you're not going to want to miss. So please just stay right where you are. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. You know, I said this earlier, but I really do worry about the future of, of local news. Uh, I mean, a free press, it's just it, it's such an integral part of preserving democracy. Uh, but it, and, I, and sometimes I think that the press needs some sunlight shined upon them, just like politicians uh, need the press to to shine a spotlight on 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 their activities. Uh, something to know about the New Jersey media is it's 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 unfortunately it's come down to two big companies that own 15 of the 17 daily newspapers. It, it's it's no secret that these papers are. Are, are in a decline. Their, their revenues are down. The number of reporters is about a third of what they had about 10 years ago. Uh, their, their print circulation, if you can call it that, it's, it's, 
it's down at some papers by more than 70 percent. And they don't cover a lot of local news anymore. Certainly not. I mean, I remember in the days when I was a councilman and a mayor, this is a long time ago, but there was always a reporter, the reporters from the Star Ledger, the the local paper, the Daily Record, and they were, you know, they covered the town council, they covered the school board, they covered planning board and zoning boards. Uh, and that that doesn't happen anymore. Now it's it's much more about who's got the best pizza and where can you find the the, 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 the the superior bagels, whose chicken wings are the the spiciest, and it's a lot of opinion coming from a reporter. I mean, I've said this, I've said this over and over. Uh, I'm 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 tired of hearing sometimes the reporters' opinions on issues, and and I wish that that they would just spend a little bit more time focusing on on what they're covering. I mean, there's there's an erosion of this local. And I mean, today, some of the Gannett newspapers have ended that tradition of printing Saturday papers. It, I mean, if that's what they got to do to keep the lights on, that's it's their business. Uh, that's all right. They're in this to make a profit, just just like everybody else. But but it concerns me if they don't know that they're in trouble. Gannett lost one hundred and thirty five million dollars last year. But when I listen to their CEO discuss their fourth quarter earnings, they're they're painting a rosy picture of how everything is good. And I, I just don't see how that can be. Uh, uh, w- one thing I've learned in life is if if somebody has to tell you that your hair is on fire, uh, it's 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 probably too late to save it. And I'm I'm really hoping that these papers. I subscribe to them all. I pay uh, uh, multiple newspapers every month to uh, to to be be a subscriber. And I, th- I think that uh, I think that's their only hope. But I I need them to consistently deliver a, a, a better product. And, and and so, as promised, I have some news. Uh, Ferris Bueller said that life moves pretty fast. And if you, you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. And that goes for the media as well. This is a constantly changing industry. The success is directly tied to adapting the way consumers receive their news. Organizations that that resist change, well, they, they will reliably fail. And, and so after 78 weeks, the New Jersey Globe Power Hour will end its run of weekly radio shows on Talk Radio 77 WABC today. Uh, we're moving to a new podcast format with a, a series of public affairs programs led by the Inside Edge. It's going to be a new weekly show that will focus on Jersey politics and personalities. And I promise you will not be disappointed by that change. Uh, it has been a pleasure to host this show every Saturday for the last year and a half. Uh, I'm especially grateful to those of you who have listened to the live broadcast on the radio and to the people who tune in later, either through the, the New Jersey Globe website or through a multitude of, of, of major podcast platforms. There's a lot of people who listen regularly. I thank all of you for that. Special thank you to Alex Alice, whom I've never met, uh, but Alex Alice is uh, based on her Twitter feed, she is a loyal listener. I think she listens every single week. I don't think she's missed a show. And, and Alex, thank you for, for pointing out when you agree and disagree with me. That's how things ought to be. Uh, I mean, the Globe has drawn, uh, this New Jersey Globe Power Hour has drawn some of the biggest names in politics and government. Uh, we've had s- six appearances by Governor Murphy, by his 21 opponent, Jack Cittarelli, uh, Bob Menendez, Cory Booker, the two U.S. senators on multiple times, 11 of the 12 members of the uh, House delegation from New Jersey have been on the show. show of, so have all of the legislative leaders, uh, Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver, First Lady Tammy Murphy, Chief of Staff George Helmy, uh, numerous legislators, local officials, top staffers, political operatives, 
pundits, academics, labor leaders, and journalists. Uh, I mean, we've had the, the, the minority leader of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, Democratic National Chairman, Jamie, uh, Jamie Harrison, and my, and my favorite, Steve Kornacki. It was just so great to have him on. And I just want to say thank you uh, to the 77 WABC team, uh, Kevin Drosch and, and everybody there for their help, their cooperation, especially my friend Frank Morano, uh, Kevin Sanders, who he keeps the trains running on time here at the New Jersey Globe. This has been a load of fun, and I am so proud of what the Globe has accomplished, and I'm excited for what we have planned next. So uh, please look for the links of our new podcast soon. I know you're going to like it. And so for the last time, this is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.